Hey, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Eva Miller. As a domestic violence survivor turned life and wellness coach, I'm here to help you fully know your value, reclaim your power, and boldly create the life you love instead of living from someone else's script. So if you're feeling stuck and looking for help, or you just want to be reminded that it's okay to be your unique self in a conforming world, you're in the right place. Don't water down your wild. Step out of the race you never wanted to be in and forge your own path. Let's go. Welcome back to the show. My name is Eva Miller and my co-host today is none other than Big Sexy himself, Brian Moose Miller. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually in the afternoon, but you know, apparently we're punchy today. It happens. I can be punchy anytime I want to. Mm, Yeah. All right. So I was wondering when I was going to have Big Sexy back on the show, but I wasn't sure that it was going to be today necessarily. But we had a conversation and it kind of prompted me to think we'd share some of that conversation with you because it's, it's one of those conversations that just kind of grew legs and took off and just started exploring. So I think what prompted this was talking about like what headspace we were in when we met, what our circumstances were when we found each other. You may not know this. We met on a blind date. I worked with Cindy and he worked with Cindy's husband and she thought that we would like each other and wanted to set us up. I'm pretty sure she's not listening since we don't even know where she is anymore. But hey, thank you, Cindy. (laughs) You did good. But we were saying that when we met, what kind of headspace we were each in. And I asked him if somebody would have said to you then, you know, what do you want less of in your life? Yeah. And and you said. I don't know if anybody remembers, but on past shows, and I said I grew up in a very uh, hectic, chaotic family, a lot of family dynamic issues. And I guess what I was looking for around that time in my life was a lot less stress, less chaos, less tension. I had a lot of overwhelm with everything that was going on and just heaviness in general. So I wanted a lot less of that and just, you know, a calmer life. And it was so funny because I was trying to finalize a divorce for an abusive marriage, single mom in it, and struggling just to get through like... I had family who didn't necessarily support all of the decisions I was making for myself. I was struggling to just kind of survive financially, but I had a lot of baggage I was trying to work through. I didn't even know that's what it was called. But I also, if somebody would have said, not that anyone did, but if anybody would have said, hey, Eva, what do you need less of right now in your life? I also would have said, stress and chaos. And I did feel overwhelmed. Um, I definitely wanted less tension in my life. And life did feel heavy. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a lot on my shoulders. I had a lot of pressure coming from a lot of different directions as well as from myself. And I definitely felt like, you know, kind of like the fun had gone. And then conversely, I asked you, if somebody would have said to you, what do you need more of in your life? You said... More confidence because at that time in my life, I didn't have very much confidence in my ability. I didn't have really control over my life. I couldn't spend the money the way I wanted to, even though I was, you know, earning a a decent paycheck at the time. But I lived at home. I actually owned half of the house that we lived in. 
but all my money was tied up in bills and things like that, that, you know, a young man shouldn't have to deal with at that point in their life. But that's, that's kind of the way we work. Well, and not all of those were yours either. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I wanted independence, freedom, autonomy, and I wanted to have more fun in my life because I wasn't really having very much fun at that time. Everything was just, like we said, so overwhelmed and heavy. And for me, I definitely wanted more peace, but I don't know that I would have verbalized that. And I needed more calm, but I don't know that I would have verbalized that either. I do think that what I would have wanted more of and needed more of was confidence. But at the same time, I'm not exactly sure that what that would have looked like or even what it would have gotten me. I definitely wanted more independence, financially in particular. And I was I was doing the autonomy thing. I mean, I was doing what I wanted to do, but I definitely didn't feel emotionally free at all. I definitely felt like the fun in my life was mm-hmm. gone. The only fun thing in my life at that time was Ryan until I met you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was great, but he was like barely a year old when I met you. So a one-year-old is only a certain kind of fun. It's not the same as what I was looking for, which was a companion to do things with and person to spend time with. I think everyone would probably say to a degree they want more confidence, more peace, more control of their life, more freedom, more fun, more autonomy. And I think probably everyone would say, I need less stress in my life. I need to feel less overwhelmed. I need, you know, less tension. I I need less chaos. So it's, it's just interesting to me how we all are so similar on the inside for what we want, how we feel. You know, I wanted more connection in my life, meaningful connection, Mm -hmm. not just connection, connection, but meaningful connection. And I think everybody wants those things, but we don't all go about getting them. And I wonder, this is kind of what we were talking about today, how much of what we lack in our lives is because it's not available versus we are not actively looking for it. We're sitting on the couch at home waiting for it to be dropped off at the front door, right? To be delivered. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of prompted us talking about lies we believe. Lies we believe, like for in our case, what we believed back then. Yeah. And that you thought were true because people will say things to you For example, the money thing, Mm -hmm. you know, I very much come from people saying things like, oh, you uh, got an unexpected refund on something or uh, a rebate or like when you changed insurance companies or something and you overpaid and they sent you the difference back in a check. I was very much taught, put it in your mouth and pray for lockjaw because you never know when that something like that's going to come back to you again. Now that I'm older, like I kind of accepted that a little bit, didn't completely understand it Mm because I was a kid. I accepted it. But now that I'm older, first of all, I don't believe in scarcity. It's been a matter of me saying that is a lie. You have to recognize a lie before you can change anything surrounding it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we were talking about some of the lies that you believed back then. Yeah. And you said some of those, I took some notes. You said 
You said you believed you couldn't change anything. Right. I didn't think I had the power to change anything in my life at that point. I think I just felt like I just had to, whatever life threw at me, whatever circumstances I found myself in, I just had to accept it for what it was and just press on. Do you think some of that was because you didn't know how to change anything? Oh, yeah, I definitely didn't have a clue on how to change anything. Because all throughout my life, the way I remember things growing up, it was always, well, you know, this is just how it is. We just have to deal with it. There's nothing we can change. This is just the situation we're in. So just roll with it and hope for the best. Okay. Uh, The other thing that you said was you believed the lie that you couldn't make it on your own. Yeah, I I was told that I didn't make enough. I couldn't live on my own. I couldn't afford to move out and rent an apartment and just, you know, be me and not have to worry about anybody else but me. I I wasn't making enough money. I couldn't do it. Didn't think you could be independent? No. What made you realize that was a lie? I don't know that I can really pinpoint, but it, it happened... Over time, you had a lot to do with the huge mindset shifts that I had early in my life. I was looking for something else. I wanted something else that was more important to me than than me in the situation that I was in to, to kind of help me go along. And I, I met you and I liked you a lot. You were beautiful. <laughs> and I wanted to spend as much time with you as I could. And I wanted to spend the money I was making on you. And that was another, you know, contentious thing with with me and my family at the time. But realizing that if if I budget, then I can make it. If I don't just spend and splurge and not pay attention to where my money's going, then I did make enough that if I lived within my means, but I could make it. But do you remember when you first saw that? Yeah, after you Basically, you took charge of mm-hmm. my money and you yeah. you gave me an allowance. And this you, is, this all sounds kind of funny, like you know she's controlling, but it wasn't. She well, was, it stemmed from the conversation <laughs> when we were talking about money because we were kind of getting serious. And you made the comment, "I don't have anything to offer you. I don't uh, like your the money that you made was good, but you had bills mm-hmm. that you had to take care of." And so you said something very close to. I don't even have $5. I can't save any money because I don't make enough I or I have too many other things that I have to pay. And I remember thinking, I had a pretty good idea of what you made and I kind of knew a little bit about your bills. And I remember thinking that it was just a matter of you looking at stuff mm-hmm. and kind of paying attention. And I said to you, yes, you can you're better off than you think you are. And you were like, no, I am just treading water. Yeah. And somehow it turned into a little challenge of setting aside some money. Mm -hmm. And I remember you cashed your check and you brought me all the cash and you said, all right, let's see what we can do with this. It was like a Friday night or something. You'd just gotten paid. Mm -hmm. And you laid all the money out and I was like, all right, tell me everything that, cause I think you got paid every week. Does that seem right? Yeah. Yeah. I was paid and, weekly, very weekly. <laughs> and <laughs> you laid it all out and I was like, tell me about your bills this week and like how you structured them. Like, did you take all your car payment out of one paycheck or did you split it up or whatever? So we went through all that and then you took what you absolutely had to have. So maybe that was like lunch and gas money. Mm-hmm. And then I don't remember how you paid your bills, but you took aside whatever had to be paid and then you gave me everything that was left over. And 
you weren't sure you had budgeted correctly for gas or Mm -hmm. whatever and your lunch. And you said, so I might have to tap back into that or whatever. And by the end of the pay period, you had $50 left over Mm -hmm. and you were stunned when you said, hey, is there anything left over? How was my budget last week? Was there anything left over? And I pulled out that $50 bill. Your eyes were huge. And you were like, what? Like I have real money left over. Yeah. And that was a... um, Back in the day, $50 was a lot of money. It wasn't just, you know, a trip to McDonald's. (laughs) For real. A trip to McDonald's was like $5 back in the day. So I I do think that was the start of of you having an idea of, oh... Because that I remember that particular payday was a tight payday for you. Yes. Like, I think a lot of things had to come out all at once or something, and you didn't think you could have anything left over. Other paydays were a little bit lighter, and so you knew you were going to have a little more left over those times. And so I think that was the start of it. But over time, you did start to see, like, I can do this. Yeah. And I think that built your confidence along the way. Mm-hmm. because. I've said this before, evidence creates confidence. We always want to have the evidence first before we'll believe something will happen. But really, you need to make something happen. And that evidence is going to be like, oh, this is how I do that. Another thing that you told me was that you didn't think you had what it took, whatever that means. Yeah, I didn't think I was I was good enough. Um because I was made for life for, for anything for for accomplishing anything. Mm. Um, when I was in high school, I wanted to go into the Air Force, and that was always a dream of mine. That's that's what I wanted to do, and I knew you know I would make it a career even you know way back then. But I was convinced that I couldn't make it. I I, I wasn't good enough to do it. I, it wouldn't be sustainable for me. So that was just something I needed to give up on and get a a real job, and stay right there in Nashville, Tennessee. It's so funny to me because I brought this up when I made the connection, how fast things can change when your mindset shifts about something. The way you look at something, how you think about it, all of that changes. And sometimes, sometimes change takes kind of a longer time, definitely always longer than we want it to. But sometimes it happens fast. And so when we met in 87, Mm -hmm. you had kind of given up on your dream of going in the Air Force. Oh, yeah. It was, in my mind, I had just totally flushed it down the drain. It was it was never going to happen. So it wasn't even a consideration to me yeah. at that time because yeah. I didn't think I could make it. You definitely thought that it was a, a dead dream, yeah. right? And I remember, yeah. I think it was our second date when you told me about the Air Force. And then on our third date, you brought it up again. And I said to you, why can't you go into the Air Force now? And you kind of looked at me like, uh, I don't know, like very, very kind of hadn't even thought about it. And I think, I think what happens to us is when something doesn't happen in the time frame that we're thinking about it, we think it's a now or never kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it almost never is. And So when I asked you, why can't you go in? I knew there was an age limit, but I knew you were nowhere near that. You were like 21. And so I knew you weren't near the age limit. So I asked you and you kind of sat there and you're like, well, I'm not sure. And I said, well, if it's still something you want to do or you're interested in, maybe you should talk to a recruiter. Mm -hmm. And you were kind of like, I don't know. And so you wanted to think about it and you did. 
But from December or very early January of 88, December of 87, January 88, within a year, you were off leaving for basic training. Yeah. And you knew immediately, this is going to be my career. I remember in tech school in Illinois, in early summer, late spring of 89, I remember you coming home from school one day and saying, you know what? At some point in my career during the Air Force, in the Air Force, I want to do what I am learning. I want to teach what I'm learning to do now. I want to be an instructor to teach new recruits to do this job. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay then. I mean, it it just came Mm -hmm. out of the blue to me. It came out of the blue. You just walked in the door and was like, hey, this is what I want to do. And it was always in the back of our minds. But I don't know that you actually thought it was necessarily, I I don't know that you were convinced it was going to happen. And it eventually did Mm -hmm. several years later. But it's interesting to me that in that short amount of time from early January 88 to February of 89, you were already processed in, you'd enlisted, taken the oath, Mm -hmm. all the things. And there you were living the dream (laughs) that you had wanted. Flying on an airplane for the first time in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I think... You told me once that you were raised to be perfectly mediocre. Yeah. And you felt like that's what you were. Yeah, I was very good at it. (laughs) Nothing really stood out in my life or with me in general. Um, I was just average. I was mediocre. I believe that changed or began to change. In summer school. Yes. Want to talk about that? Yeah, 11th grade. I was going through. I didn't want to do the research paper in English because I thought it was stupid. There was no reason to do it. So I just didn't do it. And I wound up failing English. And I had to go to summer school to make it up. So I'm sitting in class and we're, you know, going through things and we're talking about stuff. And the, the teacher's there and he's asking questions and I'm firing off answers and Finally, with all the other students around, he's, he's just sitting there and he looks at me and he asks the question, why are you here? And being the smart ass I am sometimes, <laughs> um, I said, well, because I failed English and had to retake it this summer. He said, no, why are you here? And I looked at him very puzzled because I don't know what he's, why he's asking this question. And he looked at me. Very serious face. And he said, you are too smart for this. You don't need to be here. You're too smart to have been in this situation. And that's the first time in all of my schooling career at this point that a teacher, somebody that really didn't know me, but just based things off of the way I interacted and the way I participated and the answers I gave and things like that told me that I was smart. I was too smart to be in the situation that I was in. And it just, something in my head clicked. So my senior year, I had one B and the rest were A's. And before that? Before that? I was a C, D, F student. Wow. C was really good. 
And F was, D and F were about average for me because I was average. I was mediocre. I didn't excel at anything. Were you not motivated or you just apathetic? And there, didn't care? there was no motivation there. If, if I passed, great. If I didn't pass, eh, you know, that's okay. Did you not get in trouble if you got less than a C? No. Really? Nope. Man. I, it was never important or stressed to me to be important to make good grades. If, if I made good grades, wonderful. If I didn't make good grades, okay. Dude, if I got a C, I got grounded from all fun things until I brought that up. So that meant the whole next nine weeks mm -hmm. or however long the grading period was, I was missing out on some mm -hmm. fun. And I remember, you know, I don't ever remember, my parents never told me I was stupid, but I don't necessarily remember them saying that I was smart, which I am, but I'm not totally book smart really. I mean, some subjects I have to work really hard at, like math. If you don't make it make sense to me, like, why do I care about perimeter? If you don't show me the application, it's not sticking with me. Mm -hmm. But other things came very easy. But while my parents didn't ever tell me I was stupid, I don't know that they said things like, you're smart. They probably did. But of course, they were my parents. That's sort of their job. <laughs> So I don't know that I would have paid close attention, but I just remember my dad looked at my report card one time and there was like all A's and a B, or maybe there was a couple of A's, a couple of B's and one C. And I just remember him looking at me with his, you know, army drill sergeant face. He wasn't a drill sergeant, but I mean, he was in the army and he had a, he had a serious face. And I remember him looking at me and saying, girl, you better bring that up. And he, it was like one of the times he didn't ground me. And I just remember thinking that was new for me, but it was not ever <laughs> acceptable. Not that he was a perfectionist. And I, I do think that he really did believe in my ability, but that's not how he cheered me on. <laughs> and so it was just more, you better do this. It was just not acceptable to have anything like a C and certainly like a D or an F would have either probably by that time it would have been just a more severe grounding. There was no phone to take away back then, you mm -hmm. know, but, um, but it, he wouldn't have spanked me, but yeah, it would have been a big deal. It blows my mind that C's and D's were just, okay, here's Brian. Well, it was that way with sports too. If I wanted to play baseball, they made sure I had all the equipment that I need, but it's, you know, if I wanted to, to play, okay. If I didn't want to, it was, Okay. Uh, when I got into junior high, I went out for the football team. Um, practice was great. I did really good, but it was one of those deals that it's like, well, if you want to play, then then play. If you don't, then don't. There was no pushing. There was no, you know, encouraging me to pursue anything and to move forward. Now, you put me on the field in the back of the house and we're playing backyard football and nobody could catch me. I was the fastest kid out there. But it was one of those things that I just didn't have the encouragement to pursue it in the academic sphere or, you know, sports or anything like that. It was just, if you want to play, you can play. If you don't want to, it's no big deal. Gosh, so, again, mediocre. Just Our parents were wildly different. <laughs> <laughs> we really were raised very differently. Did you have a lot of drive or initiative or did you just, they didn't have strong, like if they had encouraged, I guess what I'm asking is if they had encouraged you more to either 
study more, get better grades, pursue whatever athletic thing you were into or whatever, would you have pursued it more? Were you apathetic because they were kind of like, oh, maybe it's not a big deal. So you caught that from them or was it not a big deal to you? I think it was it was caught. It wasn't that it wasn't a big deal to me. I wanted to be good. I loved playing sports and I wanted to be good at it. And there weren't too many sports that I couldn't play and at least be good enough to be competitive. But I, but it doesn't it didn't seem to matter if I excelled at it. So there was no drive, there was no outside forces encouraging or pushing or, you know, cheering me on. You know, they were at every game and they were, you know, obviously they were proud when we played, but they didn't seem to mind if I played or not. Well, I've seen you take a football and Ryan went up. We were taking a walk. Ryan went up into the play. Yeah, you're snickering. Yeah. You know what's coming. Now, it wasn't a real football. It was a little <laughs> foam soft football that you could catch with Velcro gloves. So it wasn't like I'm throwing a real football and, you know. Okay, yeah. Got yeah, a caveat yeah. I got that. you. I'm not you know, abusing yes. my children. Yeah. Well, you were abusing them, <laughs> but not with the football. <laughs> You tortured those kids mentally in other ways. Oh, yeah. But Ryan had run up onto the top of a slide, mm-hmm. and it was the kind that looked like a cube at the top. And so he poked his head out of the out of the little, through the hole, yeah, and he said something to you like "neener neener neener" or something, and you threw that football like thirty or forty feet and beamed that kid in the head. Yeah. Right, it went right through that hole and hit him, and we know it hit him because he yelled "ow." <laughs> It was it was a round tube slide. Now we, we used to play this game. It's called football tag because I got tired of running and chasing them. So instead of playing freeze tag with your kids like most normal people do, I decided I'm going to throw this little soft football at them. If I hit them, they're frozen in place. There, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the ways that he tortured our kids, abused our kids. So so he climbs up there, and it's it's one of those play structures, and it's got the the little barrier so they don't fall off, you know, when it's wide slats, but they're tubes, you know, like a little ladder on its side. Yeah. I thought it was the key looking thing. And he he runs up there and he's like, ha ha ha, you can't get me. And then he jumps down the slide and I threw it and it went perfect. Right through the slats, right down in the hole and hit him in the back of the head on the way down the slide. Yeah. It was (laughs) hilarious. It's still hilarious. I know you could have played football if you'd wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Looking back on it, and I'm not arrogant or anything like that. I'm very realistic when it comes to things, but mm, I know. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. On this show, we, what did I say last week? We are going to normalize talking about what you do well and canceling feeling nothing but frustration and disgust with yourself, right? I said something very similar to that. So That might have been when I was cut off in traffic and I didn't hear that part. <laughs> well, so in that spirit, you're not bragging. You're stating okay. a fact. You were a very good football player. I, yeah, athletically gifted, I guess. Um, but I know there's there's not a doubt in my mind that if I had stuck with it through junior high and high school, I would have had a scholarship to a college and I could have been playing on Sundays. And then we never would have met. And we never would have met. I know the ability that I had and just looking back at how good I was. I could have gone that far, but it was one of those deals that I didn't have the the stick to to pursue it all on my own. There was no 
nothing that was motivating me and pushing me because I didn't one, I didn't think I was good enough at the time. And if I didn't have the encouragement from outside sources to continue to go, then what was, what's the point? Well, sometimes you do things just because you love them, just because they, they're fun. But I didn't know that at the time. Well, sure. Because by the time you got to be that age, you quit living intuitively and doing what you want to do, like little kids do. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a horrible golfer, but I love it, so I still play. You know, I was debating just now whether I was going to bring up how funny, haha, it is to me that the sport you are the, because you're good at all of them except golf. And that's the one you love the most. And I wonder, is it like a pride thing? Like, I'm not going to let this sport beat me because I'm good at all the others. <laughs> I don't. It's just something about being out there and just walking in the heat and, and humidity the heat and the with humidity the bugs and the bugs and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just, I enjoy playing it because it's me against that little white ball. Or orange or yellow. just depends on what's on sale that time. And we know from the reel we did last year or the year before, you go through a lot of balls because yeah, you lose a lot. Of a balls lot. And I like to play with a noodle. Yes. you. <laughs> but I just meant you lose a lot of balls when you play golf. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're such a weirdo. This girl is not built for being out in the heat and humidity, chasing a little bitty tiny ball around with a stick. It's going to have to be a lot cooler. I need some air conditioning to do that. <laughs> live in a different place than here. Okay. So you said earlier you were kind of conditioned, taught, whatever word you want to use, to just accept what's handed to you. Mm -hmm. What unlocked the block to make you say, I'm not going to accept what's been handed to me? Well, you see, for years I've had this um, incredibly talented life coach. <laughs> <laughs> that has practiced on me and and encouraged me and you know just to to not just take what's out there what's in front of my face because that's what a lot of us are conditioned to do is just you know well whatever comes your way you just roll with it and go on instead of pushing back and saying um no that's not acceptable i don't deserve that and you're not going to treat me that way okay that's fair and and I agree. It's true. Yes, I have heavily influenced you to love yourself. Mm -hmm. But at some point, it stopped being me telling you to love yourself. And like, like, like at some point you took ownership is mm -hmm. what I mean. And I've watched you do that with so many things in your life where you were presented or taught or raised one way. And as you've gotten new information, it's become something that you've you were willing to question, you were willing to look at, you developed some awareness around some things, and I've watched you make those things your own. And so was there, what takes a person, and this is just, maybe you can't even quantify it today, but because I'm sitting here thinking about my own things, what were things that I, what were lies I believed, and how did I go from believing XYZ lie to recognizing that that's a lie and then shifting into, nope, I think this is true. Can you speak to that? What made you say, oh, I actually am good enough? Because, you know, if I was suddenly gone from this earth tomorrow, there are still some things you would absolutely do and believe they are not influenced by me anymore. Like you own them. That's mm -hmm. you. So... How do you think you made that shift? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. 
Oh, he's got oh. a serious face on. <laughs> it's it's the small victories. Okay, when evidence, okay. The evidence when I stood up for myself and said, no, this is not the way this is going to be. And it was successful. Gives you a little bit more confidence to stand up the next time yeah. and more and more and more. But you have to have, unless you're just a totally driven person and you come across this all on your own, you have to have somebody in your corner that's going to cheer you on and help you to see some things that you didn't necessarily see, help you to have that mindset shift to be, instead of being the sponge where you just absorb everything that's thrown at you, to being the rock that makes it bounce off of you. So, wow. And it's those little bitty steps because nothing really, you don't gain the traction with a giant leap. That's true. You may move forward, You're right. but there's nothing behind it. To keep you moving forward. Those, those little things do it's stick better. It's the little better. things mm -hmm. that, especially for me who's a processor, it's the little things and the little successes I would have that built the confidence, built the self-esteem, built the realization of, oh crap, I can do this. I don't have to just accept the status quo. I can stand out. I can be the one that says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow that to happen to me, period. And impress on, even when the people around you doubt that, oh, you're going to cave, you're going to cave, you're going to let it happen, you're going to do this. No, I'm not. It's not going to happen. But 20, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have been like that. But I'm like that today because, one, the cheerleader, that's <laughs> you. <laughs> rah, rah. And just those small victories, those small steps forward. Now I look back and where I was is a dot to where I am now. Because you're so far away. Because I'm so far away from it. It's a dot. It's just... The line is, is a dot to you, <laughs> in the words of Joey Tribbiani. Yeah. Just a small little blip on the radar. Love it. I love it. I think you're right. I, I agree. I wasn't really thinking about that. That especially, which is weird because I just said it, that evidence is what builds or what breeds confidence. But yeah, kind of like when Monica on Friends was taking that tap dancing class mm -hmm. and they started to tell her to leave or something. She was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Like she couldn't believe she mm -hmm. was starting to catch it. And that's true of us. We're like, oh, hey, I really can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to wrap that up today. Thank you for this very impromptu discussion. I hope you enjoyed listening to Moose uh, meander along memory lane and share some of his story and get to know him a little bit better. I'll be back next week with more. Okay, that's all I've got for you this time. If you want to see if my coaching program can help you, you can set up a Blue Skies call with me to learn more. It's free. I'm not high pressure. I'm not going to badger you. We just have a conversation. You tell me the things you need, what you're looking for, and I tell you what I do to help people and how my program might work with you. If they match up, great. If they don't, all you've lost is an hour of your time. Link is in the show notes. Talk to you next week.